A petite woman gets out with blonde hair. She takes the rifle and she's boom, 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 right in his face. And he said, quote, she was shooting him so much in the face that his head was bouncing off like a rubber ball. Oh, my goodness. Whoa. The inevitable end. Retribution. Here is Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker, who died as they lived by the gun. Welcome to Talk Better to Me, guys. What's up? Nothing. Not much, Jen. How about you? How's your stomach bug doing? Uh, you know, my entire life, I've always said, like, you know, I really wish that I could get a stomach bug and I just lose, like, 10 pounds and everything will be okay. And I have now learned that that is not the way to go. <laughs> because, number one, I only lost three pounds. <laughs> and, number two, I can't, came down with it the night before my national board's. So I did not sleep all night before. But you passed, right? I think. I mean, they don't give you a pass or fail right away. With the last test that I took, my comprehensive exam, like we knew what score we had to get for our school Mm -hmm. in order to graduate. But um, this goes to the National Certification Board and it takes like eight weeks to get my results. Mm. So I think I got a high enough score, but I won't know for another eight weeks. That sucks. I know. Well, I'm glad you feel good about it, though, despite you feeling being like legitimately ill during it. (laughs) Yeah, I was. And the thing about losing weight, it's probably just the water, so you probably gain it back. Thanks, John. So the hint tonight was Starlet. What is a Starlet? A Starlet is like a movie star, a young young movie star. Female. Mm -hmm. It's someone who wants to become a movie star. Is it? Mm, No. No. Whatever. He's going to pull up a definition and he's going to prove us wrong. So no, anyway. I, I feel confident in, in how we guessed. I feel, Or not how we guessed. I feel confident in our definition of starlet. A young actress with aspirations to become a star. So we are both right. Um, so the hint tonight is the Hollywood cocktail. Mm. And delicious. It is. It is. It is pretty good. It's uh, What's going down rum. Fast? Topper's rum. Grapefruit juice and grenadine. It originally called for um, an egg white, wh- a- whipped egg white, but I was like, nah, that seems like too much work right now. Which I think would probably be beneficial for your stomach, actually, as well. Yeah, that may have been a little too much too soon. Maybe. So we have a new Taco Supremo. <gasps> we do, Wayne. Yeah, Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Wayne's World. <laughs> I've never seen Wayne's World. Oh, oh, it's on. It's on something. We can watch it after. I feel like I wouldn't like it. It's it's Mike Myers. If you don't like Mike, she Myers hasn't comedy, seen Austin Powers. Yeah, either. I don't think I would like Austin Powers either. Wayne's World was all right. I wasn't a huge fan. I'm not gonna lie. So, uh, I want to say a big, huge congratulations to Gypsy Rose for getting engaged. I saw that today. <laughs> not yeah. to go to John. No, yeah. I didn't read no. the headline. I I didn't read the article. I only saw who posted the, that, Kira. Had, um, I don't, I don't know. I saw it on E News, like it came up on my phone. But TLDR, too long to read. Um, yeah, she got engaged to a, a pen pal, a prison pen pal. That poor girl. Uh, Lauren linked the uh, Gypsy Rose is engaged. Oh, so so nice. thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Lauren. I would, I actually, I would have found out eventually because I have an RSS feed and I just didn't check it that day. But thank you so much. That's awesome. And I hope she lives happily ever after. This is one of my favorite drinks we've done, by the way. Really. Yeah, it tastes like um, something that I like. 
You know, I think the Bahama Mama we made last episode was, mm. was my favorite. Actually, you know what one's the best one that we've made, I think, of all time? What? The one that you made that was the lobster Yes, episode. that was really The good. rock lobster blended yeah. one. That mm-hmm. was to die yeah. for. Yeah, that was really With good. With the little lobster gummies. Yes. That was so fun. I got way too many gummies. <laughs> uh, no, I, oh, I can't wait till the summer and we can do some daytime recording, hopefully, yeah. every now and then. I want a Bloody Mary's. That's like uh, my thing. We do have that pickle vodka that's perfect for it. You know what we should do? <laughs> yes. So what are we drinking, shooting? We don't know. It's a surprise. It's a, have oh, you? Yeah. <laughs> is this your first time here? Who are you? Mm. Is this an imposter? John? Do I need to sing the song for you? I think I do. Surprise shots, surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. You're welcome. I picked this one out, guys. I'm a little concerned, although I might know what it is. This looks like it my It can pee. be like one of like two things that we have in there. So. It looks like my pee. Oh, no, no. No, 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 no. No. What do you Can't, think it is? is it, it, it's my pee. What do you think it is, Jen? If it's absent, I'm not drinking it. Oh, absinthe is this color. Mmm. Pucker. What kind? Apple. Yeah. I don't think we've done a shot of that before. We might have, but it's been a while. It's been a while. We've killed too many brain cells, which um, I thought it was really funny, Wayne, in your note when you were... um, when you wrote to us, you were talking about how you could tell that when we start to slur, no, no judgment, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Wayne is a... Jen's looking at how thin her face looks. When? Or it when? It does. It does. You keep at it, girl. I am. I'm down 20 pounds officially today. Thanks, stomach flu. you get it that back. That is awesome. Stop, John. John, that no was fucked up. you. 20 pounds? I know. So Wayne is a autumn... Or not autumn... Wayne is Hang a on. Aero... We haven't finished dwelling on Jen's weight loss what is success. It? Aeroplane. Stop it. Jen, you've lost twenty pounds in I mean two just... pounds in one two two months in one week. I was like we started February fifth. February. February fifth, because the Super Bowl was the fourth. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. Thanks. I've been working really hard. You have, and it shows. Thanks. I couldn't have done it without you guys. Teamwork makes dream work. It's phenomenal. You're welcome. So Wayne is a auto plane person. Auto plane? Or you know, auto aeroplane? Aeroplane engineer. Oh for like Boeing? Yeah, for Boeing. He works on Boeing. No, for Boeing. He works on this That's awesome. Bunch of seven, seven sixty seven. Isn't that the plane that is really controversial right now? What's this? What? Why would it be controversial? There was a crash recently on a on a Boeing plane, hmm. and a lot of the major um, major airlines canceled a bunch of flights that were using those planes. Interesting. And I think it was a seven sixty seven. I could be wrong. Maybe it was a seven twenty seven. I'm not sure. I don't know the difference between them all. The size, like they used to have the seven forty seven, but that one was yeah. actually discontinued. Oh, really? I think. Well, I know Delta doesn't use it anymore. Huh. Also, I saw on the news the other day that Delta is decreasing their their recline by 20 degrees on oh. one of their planes. Airplane seats are the most uncomfortable seats on the planet. I can't sleep on a plane. And I can sleep anywhere. Like they, in the car, well, I'm like dead to the world. Like they are, use the opposite curvature of the way your spine's supposed to be. So if you're supposed to have like 
little a little lumbar support, you uh-huh. know, in your back, mm-hmm. it like literally goes the opposite way. Oh, I never thought of it that it's way. So they're so uncomfortable. But you know what? Pl- the newer planes, I love that they have built-in Wi-Fi, so you can have Wi-Fi while you're on the plane, mm-hmm. and they've got little chargers Movies. on the plane. The plane, the plane. I like Airplane, the movie. Yeah, that was a funny movie. I can't believe you guys had, had never seen that. I know. I'm very glad that we have now. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. The hint was Starlet. Yes. So, Jin, where are we going, and who are we killing? Well, California, I just, I just, 1950s. Um, so, I'm also going to say California. Also, we're going to Hollywood, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this takes place, though, in the 70s. I have a feeling, I hope I'm right, is this about the Manson murders? I think it's about the Black Dahlia. The Manson murders are coming up on their anniversary of the murder of Sharon Tate. But no, today is not going to be about the Manson murders. (sighs) Sorry, Mom, I know you requested that one. And no, it's not about the Black Dahlia. Shit, I really was hoping. (laughs) Damn. Are you lying? I was really upset. I'm pretty sure I'm not lying. <laughs> I just spent all week studying no, a different story. Mind. All right. April 1st, 1934. Oh. Ooh. You're both very wrong. Dove Road off Highway 114 in South Lake, Texas, hmm. where we're going tonight. It was Easter Sunday, April 1st, 1934. The weather was perfect. This guy right here, go to talkmer.com to see the oh, pictures. There a lot. Just kidding. There are a lot of pictures. You've got to see. This story is freaking amazing. This, who you're looking at right now, is Patrolman Holloway Daniel Murphy. He was riding on the cop motorbikes because it was such a beautiful day. Now, he's a rookie, and he was riding with two other guys. One of them's name was Polk Ivy, which is a veteran cop, and E.B. Willer. They're riding down the road, all three of them. Polk Ivy is the veteran in the group. He's been there forever. He's out in front leading the way. Now, he doesn't actually see the two other guys, uh, his two other patrolmen, pull off the road. But there was a Ford Flathead V8, which I'm going to get into the cars and everything, pulled off to the side of the road. Now, in this such a small, in such a small town of Texas, cars broke down all the time. I mean, these cars were pretty new and and the landscape was just rough all the dirt and the grime that gets in the car so cops would pull over and help them the two cops eb willer and patrolman hd murphy halloway daniel murphy they pull over they're going down this little dirt road there's two guys standing by the car this is ford v8 nice black shiny even though they're in the middle of the dirt they're just standing there wearing these nice suits, looking like they may just be having car trouble. So they pull off to help. The patrolmen, they don't actually think there's going to be a problem, okay? They both had shotguns, but they left them on the bike. They did have pistols on them, but the shotguns were on the bike. In fact, Officer Murphy's shotgun was completely unloaded, and he still had the shells, the shotgun shells, in his pocket. They parked their bikes, you know, they tilt them over on... What, do bikes have that little kickstand? Kickstand, yeah. Oh, do they really? Some of them do. I don't know if they did in the 30s. So they kick this kickstand out, lean their bikes, they walk over to these men in these nice suits. The guy on the right side of the car mutters to his friend on the left side, and he says, Let's take them. 
Now, mm. the cops didn't really, I mean, they're still thinking that they're just going to come help these nice folks. The guy on the left pulls out an automatic rifle, huge gun. We're going to get into the guns because during this era, there's mm. a lot of diversity in these firearms. And we actually have an expert, one of our talkers primos, Alan, who I contacted yesterday. So he'll be able to tell us all about these guns. So this was a Browning automatic rifle. It was not publicly available. The police didn't even have it. The general public couldn't have it. And if they could, they couldn't afford it anyway. It was only available for the National Guardsmen and the people fighting the war. Hmm. Okay. So they pull out this Browning automatic rifle and it's loud. I mean, it's... It's one of the largest guns. It's boom, boom, boom. And they just start, and one of them starts just pumping this cop. Boom, boom, boom. Daniel Murphy instantly dies. I mean, he gets shot all over, instantly dies. The other guy on the other side of the car pulls his rifle out and shoots over the radiator of the car, like over the hood, at the other patrolman, uh, E.B. Willer. Now, E.B. Willer is on the ground. He's spurting up blood. He's as good as dead. He's probably going to die anyway. He's filled with rounds, these big-ass rounds, just completely destroyed his body. There was one witness, a farmer, and he was about 30 feet away from all this was happening. About 10.30 Sunday morning, I noticed a car parked on that hill, the man and woman in it. I never paid very much attention to it. They were fooling around the car like picnickers uh, on an outing or hunters or something. And uh, I went to Hall Rocks on that hill up there, and I was right at that orchard about 30 feet from the car. And I could see the clothing. The woman was dressed in a brown suit, and the man had on a blue shirt, khaki riding britches. What you're watching now, go to talkmore.com, and I'm going to embed it. This is Fox Movie Tone. Now, this was right when movie pictures went from black and white silent to black and white talking. Wow. The talkies. Yeah, the talkies, exactly. So Fox Movie Tone is, you know, if you go to the movie now and you see all that celebrity facts pop up, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying, kind of entertain you before the movie starts. Yeah. This was that, but they would have real movies and real news. One was standing on either side of the car. They reached down and got the gun and came up when there's about 10 feet away and says, boom, 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 boom. The automatic shotgun, the man on the steering wheel side shot the man in front. The one on the other side shot over the radio and shot the man in the rear. The man in front fell flat of his back. The other man sort of spun around and fell with his face down the other way. Now, Wheeler is not dead yet. The farmer then tells all the news people that get there later that E.B. Wheeler was still on the ground spurting up blood. Alive. Alive. Wow. Quite the fighter. Quite the fighter. And then he noticed of that black, shiny V8 Ford, the door opening. A petite woman gets out with blonde hair. She stumbles over there with her foot, kicks him over. She takes the the rifle and she's boom, 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 right in his face. And he said, quote, she was shooting him so much in the face that his head was bouncing off like a rubber ball. Oh, my goodness. Whoa. And they book it. And Bonnie and Clyde have committed another. Ah, <laughs> damn. I've been studying Bonnie and Clyde all week. This story is really fascinating. But everything you know about Bonnie and Clyde is probably not true. So I'm going to try to cut through all the fake. Yeah. And tell you the truth. 
All right. There, yeah, there's a lot out there, but I, ha- I, we just watched um, that Highwaymen movie. Yeah, that's, that's why Netflix. I'm doing it. There's a movie on Netflix called The Highwaymen. It's got um, who's that guy in it? Uh, Woody Harrelson. Well, who's the other one? And it's got Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner. There we go. Yeah, Kevin Costner. It's also got Kathy Bates. She plays Ma oh, Ferguson, which I love. At, Kathy Bates. At the time in Texas, Ma Ferguson was. The governor of Texas. A female? A, a female, yeah. yes. In the 30s? Yes, yeah. yes. Why don't I know about her? Badass. Oh, she was badass. Yeah, but she she also disbanded the Texas Rangers, which was not a good move. And in fact, she had to reinstate the Texas Rangers just to bring down Bonnie and Clyde. Hmm. Were the Texas Rangers like a special kind of police force? How it was described to me is they were kind of like a specialty police force that really didn't follow any jurisdictions, and they didn't really follow any like rules of engagement or anything. They kind of just were kind of outlaws themselves. They were almost like vigilantes. They were vigilantes, yeah. And in the time, hmm. during this time, there were a lot of gangsters, and we're going to get to why there were so many gangsters in this time period. Well, depression. It was a depression. Yeah, there's, there's a, well, there's a lot of reasons. Okay, so tell me everything you know right now about Bonnie and Clyde. Um, it was a killer couple during the 30s, and all I can think of is like a fedora. And all I, feel I need like in this life is in. Is me, me and my, my girlfriend. girlfriend. Me and my girlfriend. So we reached out to our listeners. Our Taco Supremos. Well, not just that. Just anyone that listens and our fans and anyone could call in. We gave the the uh, voicemail number. And the question was, what do you know about Bonnie and Clyde, the Bonnie and Clyde story? Because everybody knows something about Bonnie and Clyde. Without looking it up on Google or Yahoo or Bing or MSN okay, or Alta the, Vista. I think we get the picture. Yes. The first caller is Rose. Hey, John, Nicole, and Jim, your local tacos. Um, I'm calling. She called to us crazy. Yeah, crazy give tacos. Some information about Bonnie and Clyde, the American criminals that um, were bank robbers around the U.S. and such. Um, so what I know about them is that that they were bank robbers and. Um, how mm, their robbers. demise came to be was a little shootout and lots of bang, bang, bang. <laughs> bing, bing, bing. <laughs> Instead of bang, bang, bang. Or is it I, bing, I, bing, I bing? I think she said, said bang, 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 bang. Oh, I thought she said bing, bing, bing. No. Oh, okay. The big, big bang. Our next caller is Shelby. Shelby, you are live on Talk Murder. But they're not live. Hi guys, this is Shelby the Small Taco. Shelby! The hint. So I did find out that the story is going to be Bonnie and Clyde, and I'm so excited because (laughs) actually I watched the movie, I think it's the 1999 one, when I was like way too young, like 13. And I was in love with Clyde. I was like, that is my bad boy boyfriend. (laughs) I'm going to marry that guy. And then when he died, obviously, I was like, Heartbroken, and I named all of my pets Clyde for like months. Like I had like three goldfish named Clyde. Um, and the only thing I really know about the story, other than that it took place in the Great Depression and that they met kind of by happenstance, is that they died and they were shot a um, hundred and sixty-seven times, I believe it was. Oh, that's exact. I think they found hundred sixty-seven bullets in their bodies or something like that, Easy. which is crazy gruesome, especially for that time period. 
So I can't wait to hear the story. Okay, bye, friends. See, I also had three goldfish. I had more than that. But Were like, they named Clyde? No, but I named uh. them after the Green Day bandmates. And I was <laughs> Two of them were goldfish and one was an albino and he was Mike Dern. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Like, just so happened that three of her goldfish were named Clyde. Also, That's awesome. Also, happenstance is a term that needs to come back. It's a good word. Yeah. So the book that I read is called Go Down Together, The True Untold Story of Bonnie and Clyde. Was this another book sale purchase? By, yeah, it was three bucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's by Jeff Gwynn. Can't so wait be... for another book sale. Yeah, these book sales are great. This was one of the first celebrity crime couple. This was the first celebrity crime couple. They they invented this genre. And a quote from historian Iris Chang, this comes from the book, noted in an interview a generation later, like all celebrities, quote, celebrities are really distractions for the general public. Yeah. First created, then most often destroyed, consumed for our amusement. Mm-hmm. Okay, so up to April 1st, 1934, Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker provided the distractions for Americans. The headlines are sensational. It's interesting that, like, we... Well, maybe it's hypocritical if I were to make this statement, but it's very interesting that we, as a country, glorified these serial killers as celebrities... But yet, maybe we do the same thing today with Ted Bundy and... I don't know if I would say glorify. I definitely... I mean, I know what you're trying to say, but I think because they pique the interest of the people so much, like, they kind of obsess over it, and that's all we have to talk about. So, I don't know. Not all we have to talk about, but... I mean, I think the the dynamic of a male and female couple is also very interesting. Mm-hmm. The great thing about this story is there's so much. I mean, there is there's a whole subculture devoted to Bonnie and Clyde. Hmm. Clyde grew up in West Dallas. Now, West Dallas, also known as Cement City. Cement. West Dallas, known as Cement City. There you go. Also known as the Devil's Back Door. Hmm. Also well, known that as weird. also known as the Bog, and eventually it would be named quote the Monument to Poverty. Hmm. There Those was, are some really depressing nicknames. Yeah, so Dallas... Even the devil's back door, yeah. he had me there. <laughs> when Dallas was created, it was created for a purpose. It was basically the cornerstone of capitalism. Like the hmm. skyscrapers, it was a huge banking industry there. Okay, it was like just wealth everywhere. But then across the Trinity River, which I'll show you Clyde's home, was West Dallas... Where Clyde lived, like a tent city, oh. most of the the people living there full time lived in tents. If they were lucky, if they even had anything, it was probably just a tarp. The ones that were even luckier than that had makeshift shelters. Okay, this is where Clyde lived. So and Clyde's pure, poor, very poor. He was the lowest of the low. Well, especially during that time period, it's not uncommon to to not have any money to true to be living in types of situations like that it wasn't you know totally out of the ordinary so if that was if west dallas but like even before the depression was like that you know imagine how it was hit during the depression Mm. 
Jim Wright, who spent some of his teenage years in Dallas and grew up to become the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, recalled that even among Dallas middle-class youth, I would not say West Dallas residents were considered subhuman, but they certainly thought to be less than everybody else in every way. You wouldn't want to be friends with, let alone date, a kid from West Dallas. Yeah, so they were the poorest of the poor. Like, just completely poor. That's interesting, too, the way that they worded that. You wouldn't want to be friends with, let alone date. I would word that, like, backwards in today's, like, time, if I was writing that sentence. This is where... You know what I mean? This is where yeah. Clyde Barrow lived. I mean, this is the West Dallas slumps. No power, no running water, no indoor plumbing, no paved roads, and every time it would rain, it would just mud flood everything, mm. you know? Okay, I mean, the bugs were awful. Oh, and plus... You had these Hot as hell. rolling dust storms that were extremely common in the 20s and 30s. Like that, tumbleweeds, but worse. No, these big, these big oh, storms the of, yeah, the dust bowls that, that would just come and blanket everything. You could actually yeah. see the dust clouds coming. And then they would literally just blanket everything with dirt and dust. So they had no showers, no running water. They couldn't even clean themselves and they were just the lowest of the low poor so they'd have to bathe in that river right there yeah that was what they did now clyde's dad henry he was a farmer at one point but he moved his family that's henry and his wife his wife's name is cumi c-u-m-i-e he moved his wife and his children off the farm and into this little tent city that Clyde lived in. He was a junk man. So you know that guy that always rides around um, Island Palms with that truck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And has all the furniture. He comes to our neighborhood, too. Yeah, the guy. so there's a guy with an old beat-up truck that puts furniture that people mm-hmm. throw. That's what Clyde's... He's dumpster diving. He had a wagon and a horse, and he would go and load scrap metal up mm-hmm. and get pennies for it every day henry barrow returned exhausted from picking up junk metal and after a skimpy supper spent his last few waking hours tacking together a pathetic shack his life would continue to be hard until he was released by death that's pretty bleak yeah you know what i'm saying yeah Uh, no kidding clyde grew up the lowest of the low spectrum i mean he was at the very bottom like he made up the scum you know Okay, but Clyde, the thing about Clyde is he had dreams of becoming something great. And in fact, he was a really smart kid. He had several jobs. He worked at Procter & Gamble hmm. for 30 cents an hour, which is pretty good. Now, that was he, that was an upgrade from his previous job at $1 a day. Wow. wow. He then became a glazier at United Glass Company. I mean, he was getting hired all the time. Sounds like he had some skills, too, like in order yeah. to work at... To be a a glazier, you have to be able to know how to make glass. Yeah, I mean, he was a really smart kid. And he also tried to enlist in the U.S. Navy, but he got turned down because when the family moved to the slums from the farm, they all got typhoid. And he was still had some of the symptoms left over from that. So (laughs) they turned him down. But before he actually got turned down, he got the the letters USN tattooed on him. Mm. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. So he was... Trying to make a good start in life, okay? Seems like a very hard worker, yeah. Yeah, and he was actually really talented as a musician, too. He played guitar Hmm. and saxophone eventually. Oh, wow. His dream was actually to become a famous musician at one point. 
I mean, he was really good. I didn't know that. But the thing about Clyde is he grew up with literally no hope to ever make it out of these slums. So he would go to Dallas, you know, he would window shop, see all these expensive suits were like $20 a suit, and he's, you know, could never afford that. Plus all these picture movies came out that made him want a better life. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Like, yeah. he would do anything to get out of his situation. Yeah. Um, now his brother was kind of a small town crook. They would steal chickens and they would chicken fight and stuff like that. Stealing chickens that pecked and scratched their way around innumerable Dallas backyards was one of the most common types of minor crime. Snatching a chicken was relatively easy, and if you somehow couldn't sell it, the evidence could be disposed of with a satisfying family meal. Mm-hmm. So he would do that, and okay. eventually him and his brother, his brother's name is Buck. He was nine years older, so he was a bad influence. Eventually mm-hmm. they started getting picked up by the cops for this theft, and then they started moving to bigger stuff like stealing cars, and it kind of escalated from there. Okay. Yeah. Around 1926, Dallas Dallas County Deputy Bob Alcorn has his first encounter for picking up Clyde for poultry theft. Now, the police started questioning the Barrow boys in multiple crimes, and they were doing most of the crimes, but most of the time they couldn't have evidence to hold them. They were Mm -hmm. stealing cars and all this stuff. I mean, they were just graduating to, you know, more and more crime. Yeah. Now, let's talk about the meeting Ooh, what meeting? <laughs> All right. So the reason I love this story is because it's very romantic. Oh, you're a sap at the end of the day. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's really romantic. No. Oh, because please. Clyde had other girlfriends, too. He, Clyde wasn't a bad-looking guy. Now, he was short, 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, 120 oh, pounds, kind of scrawny. And, in fact... In all the earlier pictures prior to meeting Bonnie, he would actually stand on the curb to his girlfriend so they'd be the same height. You know, he was shorter than anyone. Mm. So, but Bonnie was petite too. Clyde actually, like on a side note, he had three girlfriends before Bonnie that we know of or that historians know of. And he had their tattoos on his arm. Oh, of their like, initials. Like one be- <laughs> below the next. Yeah. <laughs> like with a line crossed out. <laughs> yeah. He's just making a lot of mistakes with these tattoos. I know. Oh, so just, just think a little bit. Just wait just a little bit longer, dude. And also one of the great things about this story is um, once they, you know, they got gunned down at the end, their bodies were paraded through the local town in Louisiana where they got killed. Really? And you can see videos of them, like, hanging out the car. And you can even see, like, the tattoos and stuff. Wow, that's wow. cool. Yeah, so, I mean, all those videos. This is, this has more photos in any case ever, I'm pretty sure. I mean, there's no other case that has this many. Wow. And I'll talk about how it became so popular. But anyway, um, January 5th, 1930, one of Clyde's friends, which was a better influence than his previous ones that were, like he had this guy named Frank Claus that was his friend, and he would, they would do robberies together and all kinds of stuff. Now, this guy invited him to a party on 105 Herbert Street. Now, as soon as Clyde walks in the door, and he has a girlfriend at the time and everything, and he's down in the dumps because, you know, he's not getting anywhere in life. He's just got are, another tattoo that yeah. needs to erase. <laughs> but as soon as he walks into this little, it's like this little house, probably like 30 people there, he sees. Bonnie, mm. and he 
And from that point on, they lock eyes, and that's it. History is made. They will never, ever be apart wow. again. That's sweet. Wow. So... Yeah, it's sweet. <laughs> if, if only the love story just stopped there. I yeah. mean, it, it kind of is a love story. But so during the time all these movies were portraying all these like love stories and stuff like that, this was theirs, you know? Like they were really inseparable. Because you had other criminals at the time that were really popular. You had um, Machine Gun Kelly. Mm-hmm. You had um, Babyface Nelson. Mm-hmm. Capone. Yeah, and you had one of the most well-named Pretty Boy Floyd. Oh, yeah. So you had all of them, well, and they man. were famous, but there ain't no, there's no subculture around them, but there is on Bonnie and Clyde. I feel huh. like there, I feel like there is, yeah. but not to the extent because no, it's, it's nothing totally like different. this. I mean, yeah, Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. But the thing about Bonnie and Clyde, I mean, Bonnie, like they are an, exp- they're an expression. Yeah. Like you would you like you know what I mean? It's just so ingrained into. Our culture, you don't even have to know yeah, but I mean, anything like, about Bonnie and Clyde to know that they're a crime couple. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, this is what Bonnie's mom, Emma, said about Bonnie when she was growing up. Bonnie, Emma Gush, was a beautiful baby with cotton-colored curls, the bluest eyes you ever saw, an impudent little red mouth. Bonnie was actually married at the time. Oh. And in fact, Bonnie never got divorced. Oh, interesting. That's why you when you hear Clyde Bar- Clyde Barrow is his name. Right. Clyde Chestnut Barrow and Bonnie Chestnut? Uh, Chestnut. Chestnut. Yeah, Chestnut. on an open fire. So Clyde Chestnut Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Clyde Chestnut Barrow and Elizabeth you get it like when he gets lit up at the end <laughs> of his life. Clyde. Uh, uh. <laughs> Come on. That's funny. Wagga wagga. Uh. Clyde Chestnut Barrow and Bonnie Elizabeth Parker. Oh. So they have different last names. So if you've ever wondered about that, it's because Bonnie and Clyde they never, never married. got married. Mm. And the reason why is because Bonnie was already married and she never got divorced. Well, so is Parker her married name as well? No, Parker's her, her real name. name. Her she actually name married name. a guy named Roy Thornton. Now, he was big, he was good-looking, he was very well-dressed. But the thing is, he started leaving Bonnie after they were married for, you know, first it was like three days. And and he would come back and things would be normal. But then he would leave for a week. And then he would come back. But he had no... Smelling like other women's perfume. Yeah, exactly. He had no explanation of where he was. And eventually Bonnie started questioning him about it. And then she got the shit beat out of her. For it. Now, Bonnie is a hopeless romantic, as you'll see. This is what Bonnie said about her husband. I wish to tell you that I have a roaming husband with a roaming mind. We are separated again for the third and last time. I love him very much and miss him terribly, but I intend doing my duty. I'm not going to take him back. She added that she and her friend, Rosa Mary, have resolved this New Year's to take no men or nothing seriously. Let all men go to hell, but we are not going to sit back and let the world sweep by us. Oh God, how I wish I could see Roy, but I try my best to brush all the thought of him and have a good time. If I knew for sure he didn't care of me, I'd cut my throat and say, here goes nothing. Maybe he does, though. I still have hopes. She was actually a really good poet too so we're going to read this thing later a poem that she wrote she was actually in prison <laughs> at one point and one of the poems she wrote was poem. called huh poem. one of the poems she wrote was called suicide sal i've just given up at this point point. and it was basically like 
the Bonnie and Clyde version of what she thought her life was. And it was it's really good. We'll read it later. But she, she wrote poetry all the time. Cool. And once they finally met, they never separated. But Clyde ended up going to jail. At the first meeting, he went to meet Bonnie's parents. The police showed up at Bonnie Parker's doorstep and arrested Clyde for all these other criminal things he was doing. Like some of them finally stuck, all the robberies and, and all the car thefts oh. and stuff like that. So he was in, he got sent to prison. So he's in prison. So there was a couple of times in the story where Bonnie could have just walked away from this whole thing. This was one of them. But she loved him. At the moment they met, Clyde Chestnut Barrow and Bonnie Elizabeth Parker exactly filled the needs in each other's lives. So was he sentenced to jail for a long time? Yeah, he was sentenced to seven consecutive two-year sentences, which is, well, basically, no, it's two years, but... The seven oh, sentences are serve on top of each other can, at the right. same time. Yeah, so exactly. it was only really two years. Exactly, gotcha. but he didn't like. He didn't want to be in prison. I don't imagine that anyone that's in prison wants to be in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually wanted to be with Bonnie and well, not in prison. And in fact, Bonnie at this point she has a decision to make: should I stay with him or not? And she, her mother Emma, hated Clyde, so she actually convinced her. Bonnie to move on and Clyde would get a letter every day from Bonnie. But then those letters started being every other day and then every other week and then stopped altogether. Now, Clyde at this point has only got like a year left in prison, but he knew he had to get out now to save his relationship with Bonnie. He escapes. Yes. So with the help of Bonnie, this is another moment when Bonnie could have said, no, I ain't going to do this. Clyde says, hey, he calls her my sweet little baby. They, they have a plan <laughs> to bring in a revolver. Bonnie's going to come in there during one of their visits. Oh, shoot. Put a revolver right in her crotch area. Not up there, Jen, like on her thigh. And then sneak it to Clyde Barrow. And then he would escape. That's like that's like Robert Garrow in the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a watershed moment for Bonnie. She'd been reveling in her new real life role as a convicted criminal supportive lover, but there was nothing illegal about that. She could walk away from Clyde Barrow anytime she liked, innocent of the slightest wrongdoing. Maybe times were tough back in Cement City in West Dallas, but there were still lots of boys who wanted to be with her. If she did what Clyde wanted her and was caught in the act, she might go to prison too. A horrifying possibility. He was asking Bonnie to risk everything for him. She actually breaks him out of prison. Now, one of the things the things that differentiates Clyde Barrow from any other gangster out there is this guy knew how to steal some cars way more than anyone else. Hmm. And in fact, he actually wrote a letter to Henry Ford saying, oh, I love your new V8 models, your 1932 V8 models, because, you know, Clyde was notorious for driving. Because they're really easy to steal. Yeah, they're really easy to steal because they had the automatic starters, number one, which is a key ignition like we got nowadays. Mm -hmm. The old cars, you had to go and turn a crank. And then it would. Oh, wow. So think about trying to steal a car when you got to pop the hood and then pull on a crank and it makes this loud noise, and eventually it catches the motor, hmm. or however that works. Like, that is not a good way to steal a car. Right. True. But if you just got an automatic ignition, most of the time the keys were in there. If not, you just pop the thing and literally hotwire it. You take two wires, put them together, and the car starts. Hmm. 
And Clyde Barrett was an expert at that. This story is best told by following the trail of stolen cars because he would steal one car, drive it you know, a few hundred miles, steal another car. So you can go all over the country and find stolen cars that have been parked by Clyde Barrow. Interesting. I wonder, Hundreds of cars. I wonder if any of those cars are in like that car museum that we were we saw, like the one the the true crime museum that had Ted yeah, Bundy's car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And his car is in there. The one that got like three hundred bullet holes in it. Oh, shoot. <laughs> the the one that they got caught in. Yeah. Oh wow. Let me ask you a question. Who invented the automobile? Um. Well. Henry Ford is known for it, but I feel like you're going to tell us that it wasn't Henry Ford. (laughs) If you want to go back to it, Leonardo da Vinci Uh built the first automobile. But the guy that built the first gasoline-powered automobile was this guy that no one ever knows of or remembers or cares about, Carl Benz. I wonder if he's the guy that does Mercedes Benz. Benz. Yeah, I guess so. I didn't think about that. Now, he did that in 1885. What Henry Ford did, he got the parts cheaper and he mass produced it. So it was more ubiquitous. For everyone. So now the middle class has it. Mm. And not just the upper class like the other car companies were targeting. He got a hold of the middle class, which was the majority of the people. And it still is today. Hmm. That's what his thing came in. Like he, he mass produced first production line, getting cars out. Thousands and thousands of cars. But the V8 model, the one that Clyde Barrow would exclusively still and he told henry ford this in a letter he wrote and henry ford actually posted it like in their thing kind of showing it off that he would every time he would see a flathead ford v8 he would exclusively go and steal that automobile dear sir while i still have got my breath in my lungs i will tell you what a dandy car you make I have drove Fords exclusively when I could get away with one. For sustained speed and freedom from trouble, the Ford has got every other car skinned. And even if my business hasn't been strictly legal, it don't hurt anything to tell you what a fine car you got in the V8. Yours truly, Clyde Champion Barrow. Because the Ford V8 would outrun anything else, any police car, anything else. And that's what Clyde Barrow is known for. He was known for getting out of tight spots with the law wow there were so many shootouts where clyde barrow would escape you know and ford v8 also the steel body made it almost impossible for police to shoot them inside the car the bullets Uh. would not penetrate the frame of the car until they finally at when uh frank hammer decided to use rifles that actually would but, uh, you know, ah. police would shoot at Clyde Barrow. I was going to say, didn't their car have a shit ton of bullets in the Yeah, but in normal police, they didn't. They use small caliber pistols. Huh. All right. And one of the headlines from the Waco Times Herald. Now, this is before the Barrow brothers got any popular. The headline reads, Trio Leaves Trail of Stolen Cars. So, guys, if you want to see, I'm posting a lot of newspaper clippets on TalkMurder.com. So go to the front page, TalkMurder.com, click on the link. Leave me a comment, share it, please, and if it's good, we'll read your comment on the air. Okay, let's talk about the bloody ham. Oh. Okay. okay. That kind of makes me like, I was going to cook my, I was going to cook ham for next week for Easter. Obviously, Clyde eventually gets caught again and recaptured after prison. Now, Bonnie, no one knows that she actually brought the gun in, so she's fine. Now, this is the second time, or a third time, actually, where Bonnie could just walk away for from all this 
But Clyde Barrow was sent to the toughest prison in the nation. It's called the East Ham Prison Farm, also known as the Bloody Ham. Oh. Okay. Now, it's like when they would have prisoners do like manual labor, like breaking rocks and stuff. Yeah. Here, here's a picture. Oh, of you it. know the movie we just watched, which is really good, Cool Hand Luke. It's on oh, Netflix. Oh, I heard of that movie. Is that like a famous movie? It is. Yeah. It is a famous movie. It's with um, Paul Newman. And it, he was in that type of prison. Together, the two camps usually have between four and 500 convicts available to work the land. Its operation was a direct legacy of the antiquated Texas convict lease system. An 1871 law passed by the state legislator decreed that any convicted felon was considered, quote, a slave of the state. Human property to be disposed of as prison administrators deemed appropriate. That resulted in prisoners being leased to railroads, sawmills, coal mines, and wealthy farmers who gained workers for dollar for a dollar a day, each without any inconvenient roles about how to feed, shelter, and punish them. So they would have different camps. Clyde was in Camp 1. It was basically a camp was like 30 inmates or so would go out into the fields of cotton and everything and literally work all day, 16 hours, and they would get no breaks at all. They, the only break they would get was like five minutes for a stale piece of bread and then get back to work. They would work them to the point of death, literally. And the prison guards would beat the shit out of the prison inmates just to set examples. Some of these inmates that were bigger and more intimidating than all the other ones, they would make almost like like watchdogs over the other inmates. Now, these were inmates, too. There's one guy that as soon as Clyde Barrow went, he met this guy, Ed Crowder. Now, think, keep in mind, Clyde was miserable during this time. Now, he was actually going to be there for 14 years. Oof. He knew he couldn't do this. He... Yeah, he knew he could not do yeah, this. He would die... That. And in fact, from now on to the rest of the story, he tells his family they'd have to damn kill me before they send me back to that hellhole any damn minute. Hmm. And you can tell. And this is why they would beat the shit out of him. This guy named Ed Crowder, he's six foot three, huge guy. He was an inmate himself, a lifer. For a year straight, he raped Clyde, sodomized Ooh. him, raped Ooh. him. And then this was time where... Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, so it, this was a time where like, it was looked down on to sodomize another male victim because it was like homosexual. Well, hopefully, hopefully it's always looked down upon. Well, it was like homosexual, you know? Yeah. Oh, just for, just for that reason. Yeah, alone. but Crowder, he was so big and everyone was... Everyone was so intimidated by him. No one said anything. So he did it out in the open. Uh. So number one, he would rape Clyde Barrow in front of everyone. That's That's humiliating. It is very humiliating. And this happened for a year until Uh. Clyde Barrow finally got just where he he was sick of it. He met this guy named Aubrey Scaly, who was also a lifer. And that guy also hated this big guy named Crowder that was raping Clyde. So they formed a plan. Here's what Aubrey said. Listen, when he follows you back into the shower, you take a pipe. Now, Clyde got a pipe brought in, a big lead pipe, and you conceal it. So he concealed it. And when he went to the shower, he said, all right, when you go into the shower, hit him over the head with it, and I'll run in there, and I'll stab him to death. Because I don't care. I'm going to be here anyway. Mm-hmm. I ain't getting out. I might as well kill this guy. I hate right. him. So one day, it was... 
September 1930, he goes into the shower with that pipe concealed. Ed Crowder goes in there to rape him. And once Ed Crowder walks in the door, Clyde Bear is like right behind the little section, section off portion, Mm -hmm. bashes him over the head, bow, with the lead pipe. Crowder goes down and all of a sudden Aubrey Scaly, just like he promised, goes up there with a shank and just starts shanking the shit out of this guy. Mm. And I mean, until he's dead, the coroner deemed it a homicide by Scaly because he he said he'd take all the credit for it. He didn't care. And life. Yeah, he's life anyway. So that worked out fine, you know, and Clyde never was held responsible for that. But that was actually his first murder. And that was one that he never felt remorseful for. You know I wouldn't what I'm either. Yeah, exactly. Honest. Now, here's why it's called the Bloody Ham. Because you work for 16 hours a day on these little farms and you literally die of exhaustion. They called it the Bloody Ham because these prisoners would self-mutilate themselves oh. in order not to work. And in fact, Ugh. they would cut their fingers off, oh. their feet They'd cut they would, their feet yeah, off? Yeah, they would cut their toes off, their fingers, oh everything, their arms off. They would cut anything off not to work. Now, that's why they call it the Bloody Ham. January nice. 27th, 1932, using the help of an inmate, as the inmate swung that axe right down on Clyde Barrow's left foot, Clyde Barrow lost his big toe oh, and half of his second toe. Wow. Completely off. Because he didn't want to do this anymore. He wanted to get out. Now. Yeah, but you'd think not having your toes, like, you need those to run fast, buddy. That's why I use cars. Yeah, but now he, can't, now he can't slave in 16 hours a day in the heat. I know, but, like, that's going to make it a, a tough escape from the prison. Well, that was January 27th, 1932. Little did he know, his mother, Kumi, with both boys in prison now, kept writing letters to the governor to pardon her sons, because at the time, the prison systems were overfilled to the max, so the governor would routinely grant pardons. And is this the female governor, or is this a different governor before um, she This is a different governor okay. at the time. Yeah, this is a different governor. But he's going out, and she's coming in, basically, like, within this time period. Gotcha. On January 27, 1932, when he severed off his big toe and his half of his second toe, three days later... On February 2nd, the Texas governor, Ross Sterling, paroled him. Oh, dear. And now he's out completely. He lost those toes for nothing. And he'll never walk straight again. He'll always be limping from here on out. He can never walk straight again. Another another example of his timing is just a little off. (laughs) Just wait a little longer. Not just what happened to me the other day, but on Friday, I also forgot to get gas on... um, my way to work and i didn't realize this until i was like halfway to work and it was like on my messages it says like you know you have this many miles until you're You're out yeah well it was on like two blank lines (laughs) oh my god so i was literally in line at the gas station and i was next to go and then my car goes (gasps) no so I ran out of gas, but I was next in line at the gas station, so oh, that had to help me push my car to the pump. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, my God. That's awful. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty bad. I wouldn't know what to do. Well, I was at the gas station. I know. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. You'll never let that happen again. I don't know. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> okay. We'll keep you posted. 
February 1932. Bonnie has yet another decision to make. Clyde shows up at her doorstep. Uh, well, clearly Bonnie doesn't make the best of decisions. Clyde shows up at her doorstep and Bonnie gets ecstatic. Oh, my God, darling, you're back. She actually had another guy in the house oh, oh, no. That's because she was moving on. <laughs> but they, Bonnie and Clyde, when he walked up to the doorstep, she lost herself. You know, fell in his arms. They started kissing, oh, and the guy, <laughs> and the other guy in the room, just kind of made I his guess way out. <laughs> just go now. Or, it's like, uh, uh, all right, well, um, cool. Thanks for that. I'll, I'll call you later. Or yeah, goodbye. I, I mean, Clyde actually limped up to the door. I mean, he's he, he was on crutches and everything. Like he was, you know, yeah. he doesn't have have his toes anymore. That was another decision where she could have been like, "I'm done." But that's yeah, she not... could have been like, "This guy's way cuter." Yeah, and he has all of his toes. But that's not the point. So Cl- Bonnie, when she was growing up, all she wanted to do is become an actress. She was obsessed with the movies, almost like Clyde was obsessed with the gangsters in the movies. She wanted to become an actress so bad. And in fact, her mother... But why does she think Clyde's going to help her with her aspiration to be an actress? Well, she just... She dated all these other guys that would just get jobs and be boring. And he's different. He's different because, yeah, he may... I mean, he's a hustler. No, I'll just steal you the car you want. And the thing about this, like, they could travel. Like, the thing that was known about Bonnie (laughs) and Clyde, they did travel. They traveled all over the United States. I mean, they were robbing every we place they went. We can travel. <laughs> Perks of becoming a criminal include <laughs> flexible business hours, remote <laughs> opportunities, great travel packages. So she always wanted to be that starlet, right? So she was. I uh, use the well. Hint does she? Does she like? Well, I guess she likes the attention. On she her. loves loves the attention. She was always gr- so. They actually grew up. Was she an only child? No, she wasn't the only child. They were. They actually grew up in West Dallas as well, hmm. but they were up a couple more rungs on the social ladder. Mm. Ladder. Her dad was a brick mason. Okay. So they were pretty not well off, but way more. They way were, be, yeah. They were probably more on like the middle class. Yeah. Blue collar. Like, I mean, they weren't rich. Doesn't I'm, sound like. But I'm just confused because. She never was married to him, and I know that there are there are women out there now that you know date criminals and stuff. But wouldn't it? I, I, what is what is the attracting factor of like you know that he's a criminal? You know that like so why like why give up everything for that? It could have been f- partly fame, part excitement, part. But he wasn't. He, she knows famous it's yet. wrong, and that's exciting. But he was such a go getter, you know. He was a go getter. He like yeah. me. I'm a go getter. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, but you're not out there like robbing people <laughs> that we know of. Yeah, you don't know that. You can't tell me for sure that you know I don't go out and rob people. You're right. So. Feature John. Bonnie. Cut that. Bonnie. <laughs> it's a little loved... concerning, actually. Maybe I should get a lock for my door too. Yeah, you ain't got nothing well. worth stealing in there, Jen. You're right. I'm so poor. <laughs> but you know what I'm going to do, Nicole? I'm going to get one different than this door handle and different than all the other door handles. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. You're welcome. You'll get, like, gold. Oh, my God. No, I don't like gold. I think gold's kind of tacky. Bonnie, growing up, she unrealistically wanted to be famous, just like the movie stars. But she little did she know. All I can think of is that vine. Hey. She was still in West Dallas. She famous. was never going to make it anywhere. 
you know? Because, yeah, she was really pretty, but so were a lot of other girls. Yeah. It's yeah. competitive out there. Yeah. It is. Like... Now, unfortunately... Are you, are you speaking in terms of, like, your aspirations to be a star or just, like... Maybe. In general. All right, so... Both. Why can't it be both? I was just curious. I was just curious what your comment was about. Unfortunately for Bonnie and her mother, the father, the brick mason, dies in 1914 unexpectedly, leaving the mother with three kids, three girls, including Bonnie. So now they're broke, and they still have three mouths to feed. So now she moves close to Clyde Barrow in the West Dallas slums. They don't move in together? No, they don't. No, this is before they met. Oh. Yeah, this is like Sorry. kind of backtracking. Gosh, you get, get with it. Do you got Google Earth on here? No. We've talked, you ask this literally every time. <laughs> this is Clyde Barrow's dad's shop. This, the, um, so eventually he saved enough money as a junk man to open up a little service uh-huh. station. Now, this is it. He built this himself, and it's still standing there today. Wow, that's kind of Which cool. is a testament to his Legacy. ability to build, build things. Good stuff, even out of hardly nothing, is still there. That's it, you know. Hmm. What is it today? It looks like a house. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder it, if it's just well, like abandoned. It might, yeah, I was just gonna say it actually kind of. It may like be nothing. like a historic spot. Um, it may be um, where people squat. No, no, not no. It's a historic spot or really? something. Yeah, hmm. they they're not gonna let squatters in there. Clyde Barrow's Isn't that the thing? You home. don't let squatters into places. They just yeah. But if it's a, if people <laughs> touche, Jen. Thanks. Yes. No, I mean, all right, whatever. I don't get on that road. All right, so Clyde gets out of prison now. He's finally got Bonnie back by his side, and then he's like, "All right, Bonnie, I'm going straight. I'm a you know, I can get jobs like I used to. I'm a just Procter and Gamble. Go straight, and he did." He got jobs and Until he would, it wasn't paying him no, enough. No, no. He would immediately get fired oh. because the cops at this time, the police, the Dallas police, would always bring him in for questioning because for he's for everything. He wasn't even doing any crimes anymore. They were literally targeting him. Uh. They were basically harassing him. So then he was like, you know what? Fuck it. I may as well do these Eventually, crimes. yeah, because he would work. You know, he would get a job somewhere at a factory, and then the factory owner would fire him because he keeps getting dragged off every day to go talk to the cops for three hours, mm, you know? So nice. he would get fired, and eventually he got sick of it. So he's like, screw this. I'm going to do what I'm good at, steal cars. And he was really good at that, hmm. like really good at that. So he forms the Clyde Barrow Gang. CBG. From the get-go until he gets finally killed. They hardly did anything right. In terms of, like, being a law-abiding citizen or in terms of they weren't a very good gang? They were not very good criminals at all. They would always almost get caught. The reason they had so many shootouts is because they would attract attention to themselves. and all. They were just not very good. So here's the M.O. of the gang, and up until they got caught, they did a two-year crime spree. Bonnie and Clyde and then some other members. Okay, they would ride around. I'm talking about everywhere from Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, up to Iowa, everywhere in that central United States. I mean, all over the place. And one of the things about Clyde Barrow, he loves to drive a car. And he would drive sometimes thousands of miles 
like in a stint without sleeping. Hmm. He would drive like, and this is back in the 30s. You know, he would drive like 300 miles without taking a break. Wow. You know, and this is, most of the roads aren't even paved. And he would drive full foot to the floor, 80 miles an hour, as fast as cars went. I was going to say, is that how fast they would go? Yeah, as fast as they went. So basically what they would do as the gang is they would drive all over and they would just keep robbing places. They would steal cars, rob a place, get in another car, rob another place, steal another car, and they would just go all over the map. But the takes were relatively small back then. Okay, I mean, they would get 60 bucks here, 100 bucks here, you know, and that was pretty much the M.O., of the gang itself. Now, the papers did start covering the gang, and this was during the Prohibition, the farm Uh, crisis. Do you know what the farm crisis was? No. Okay, so as a result of the first war, production increased dramatically Uh, in the States to, you know, push to the troops. Feed the troops. But when production goes up that high, the price initially goes up, too, with it because demand is so heavy. Right. So people, farmers are getting rich now, but then everyone starts farming and then that demand drops off and mm-hmm. now there's way too much production. Right. So now farmers are dirt poor, to, yeah. which is the reason Clyde Barrow's dad left the farming industry anyway. Um, also, the Great Depression was going on right now. Now, the reason this the gangs and, and everything were so like entertaining is because everyone's fucking broke. They can't go see movies. They ain't got no money. And the reason why it's so sensational with the headlines and the the newspaper articles is because even the editors and the newspapers were going out of business. So the one thing they had to do was create sensational journalism, something that would have someone pay 10 cents to buy a damn paper. That's where all these sensational headlines came from. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want to talk about a few murders. So the whole time, Clyde Barrow... And his lover in crime, Bonnie, and even some more tag-alongs. Like, a large part of the story, he was writing with his brother, Buck, and his wife, which is named Blanche. (laughs) (laughs) Blanche. Blanche, yeah. But I'm going to mainly try to focus on Clyde. Because it's too many. Like they, they were switching out gang members like crazy. I do want to say Clyde, he never let anyone else drive. He was always <laughs> that in control. That doesn't sound familiar at all. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm a lot like Clyde Barrow. <laughs> it's like, that's a little, that's a little I, I see some similarities. <laughs> I am. Interesting. The thing about Clyde Barrow is he was a really crappy gangster. Okay. Um, I don't know. He, they seem to be on the run for quite some time. Literally 99% of the murders committed were mistakes. Oh. Right? Like, the That's, the cops that he was... the first one that he did in prison. Well, that was not a mistake. Yeah, you're right. But, like, they would always get surrounded by cops, and it would always be a shootout. And Clyde knew how to shoot. That's one thing he knew how to do. Mm. He knew how to do a couple things. He knew how to... Drive a damn car, steal a damn car, and shoot. So he was perfect for this line of work. But he was going around and robbing little service stations and trying to get the safes. Like, most service stations would have a safe. Like, they would steal the safe and try to break it open. You know what I'm saying? But he should have just... He should have, from the start, 
stuck to what he was good at, which just, was stealing, stealing cars, cars and then selling the cars on the black market. See, but at, at the same time, I don't disagree with you. But if you're only targeting like small service stations and you're not making a huge profit from each case, it's like, well, maybe the per- you have a greater chance of a person being like, oh, well, I mean, it was $60, but we can make that in a couple of weeks. You know, back then, obviously not. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, as opposed to robbing a bank, you get more coverage and, you know, if you're if you're if you're stealing, I know it's the 30s and there's a lot, you know, seems to be a lot less going on than there there is now and that certainly the news coverage is not as big as it as it is now. But if if you rob a bank in, you know, Dallas, you're going to get more coverage than you would by robbing a small gas station in Oklahoma or Louisiana. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe that was part of his MO intentionally. They actually did rob a bank. On March 25th, 1932, it was him, Clyde Barrow, Ralph Foltz, and Raymond Hamilton, which he met all those guys in prison. Mm. Now, here's what they were going to do. They were going to rob... The Sims Oil Refinery. Mm. This is one of their first ever as a gang. So the thing is, like, Clyde got out of prison and he wanted to get rich really quick. Not just to, like, he wanted to get rich really quick so he could buy enough ammunition and guns and break out inmates. Especially Aubrey Scaly, the guy that helped them kill, Uh. what's his name? He wanted to go back to Easttown Prison the jail that's never been, no one's ever broken out of, and the security is the tightest ever, and he wanted to break everyone out of there. Okay, so they were trying to prep for this East Ham prison raid. They had driven almost nonstop from Texas to Minnesota. Let me see. Whoa. I, I know, it's like a lot of... That's a long way away. They had driven almost nonstop from Texas to Minnesota, pausing only for meals and gas. All three were exhausted, and when they took turns driving on the 400-mile trip back to Lawrence, each fell asleep at the wheel and let the car veer off the road into adjacent fields. In Lawrence, Foltz claimed in his memoir that they had enough money to check into a local hotel, the Eldridge. Now, the next two days they were at the Eldridge, they spent casing the first national bank there in town. Okay, they knew the bank president arrived there at 8.45 in the morning. They knew that. So when he arrives, they were going to be right there to greet him, Hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Clyde and Foltz both had shotguns. As soon as the president gets there on the third day, the president of the bank, they rush in the building, force the the president of the bank to open the vault. Now, they actually got away with this. No one got injured. No one got killed. They drove 290 miles away to East St. Louis, Illinois. They finally pulled over to count their money, and they had an astounding $33,000, which I looked up, and that was about $438,000 today. Wow. So that was one of the first go-arounds. He could have quit there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he's a go-getter. He's Plus, a go-getter. He, that's not enough money to do what he really wanted to do, which was break out the guy that saved him in prison. How right. much money do you need to break someone out of prison? I mean, BA, BAR rifles are expensive, you know, and all the oh, ammunition. Yeah, he true. wasn't stealing it at the time. I don't think he knew that he could steal it from National Guard armories like he figured out so that was the answer to your question yeah he should have focused on banks but 
the whole allure with Clyde and Bonnie, especially when Bonnie was with them, is they like to travel, like I said. So they would travel to different states and On just basically right. fund their whole <clears throat> vacation by Right, no, what I'm, I wasn't, I wasn't it just saying, seems like a very stressful vacation. I mean, they just got to rob people, kill I, people. I don't know people. if it sounds it's stress, high like, stress. Well, first of all, I don't, I didn't say that they should have focused on banks. I was saying maybe the, one of the reasons that he did focus on the smaller gas stations was because it would draw less attention. But, and also, like, I don't know if it would be stressful because that kind of, it sounds like it kind of gave them a rush, like an adrenaline rush. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, especially when like, they started reading the newspaper yeah. and they saw their name in it. So I don't know if it would be stressful for them. I wonder if they're the type of people and they both happen to be this type of people who, um, I don't know what the term is, but they like get turned on by um, by that sort of thing. You know what I mean? By crime. Like crime or danger. So maybe yeah. like they do it together. It makes them have the hots for each other and they kind of keep doing it. Well, even Frank Hammer, the guy that brought him down in the end, when he was a young chap in his teens, he actually was going to rob a bank. And huh. he was he was actually a wrangler. And I'll get more into his story. But at the time, the only reason he didn't rob the bank is because the like his boss of the, all the other wranglers came up and was like, all right, it's time to get back to work. That was the only reason he didn't rob the bank. And he was saying there was such a powerful allure to robbing a bank, you know, so it's probably... Because it was very easy to get away with it. Yeah, exactly. But, so after reading that, he made all that money. I don't know why he didn't rob banks. And number two, like, why didn't he just focus on what he was really good at, stealing cars, Hmm. instead of going to robbing all these service stations? Most of the time, they wouldn't get away with any money. This is a great depression. Even the store owners didn't have money, you know? So he's not actually as of yet, going to killing people on purpose. In fact, Clyde Barrow spared a lot of people's lives, including a lot of law enforcement. He would capture them, like maybe hold them hostage, drive them 300 miles away, and then throw them out. So but he the, would never kill them. So at this stage of the game, they're not really killing people. Yeah, they're not killing people. Okay. And he could still go to prison for 50 years and get pardoned maybe in 20. Like he's still... He's in the, he he still hasn't done anything that bad. Exactly. He can still get out of this life if he wanted to, but he ain't going to because he ain't going back to East Ham, the bloody ham, you know, anymore. And that's exactly where he would be going. Mm. Yeah. You know, now they did have an incident. They actually got caught trying to steal. This was when Bonnie was with them and they did get run down by the law and Bonnie actually got caught in prison and she was actually in prison. Mm, wow. Yeah. And of course, Clyde goes to break her out because, you know, he's a romantic. Anyway, this is when Bonnie started writing all her poetry, which is really great poetry. And if the great thing about this, like I said, is all this stuff is available. There's historical archives for weeks on Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, everything you think of, you know what I'm saying? Like every detail was made public and saved by the archives. It's pretty cool. But anyway, this is, if you want to read this, this is called uh, Suicide Sal. This is one of her poems. Poem. This is one of her poems. I took the rap like a sportsman. Not even one squawk did I make. Jack dropped himself on the promise we'd make a sensational break. Well, to shorten a lengthy, sad story, five years have gone over my head, 
and even and without even as much as a letter, at first I thought he was dead. A short while ago, I discovered from a gal in the joint named Kate that Jack and his ma had got married and was planning on going straight. Now, if he had returned to me some time, though he hadn't had a penny to give, I'd forget all this hell he accused me and love as long as I live. But there's no chance of ever his ever coming, for he and his ma have no fears, but that I will die in this prison or else flatten this 50 years. Hmm. Another one. Now, a lot of girls turned to this back in the day, but it's, it's highly probable that she was actually a prostitute before they met. And she's got this one poem. Poem? No, you poem. said it right. Got it she right. got this one poem called uh, The Prostitute's Convention. It's really good. And huh. anyway, it, it details like certain streets to stand on. So it's very probable that she was a prostitute. Huh. But then again, a lot of girls did that to supplement their income. True. And also, I mean, she's in prison while she's writing these, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, she could also be getting details from... That's a good point. It was mm-hmm. never proven one way or the other. The author thinks... He brought it up a couple of times in the book, but he never said, yes, she's a prostitute. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone knows. And plus, you know, It's hard whatever. to, like, doc- have yeah. document for true, unless she, like, admitted it. Yeah. yeah. Throughout May 1932, Clyde, he had several small holdups. I mean, every it was every day he was pulling jobs, you know, with different partners, Frank Claus, Raymond Hamilton, the guy that he did the safe with for 33000 they would just go around, and, and most time people wouldn't get hurt. They would just not to say that Clyde Barrow was a good guy, but he's not a good guy, but he's fair. Okay, there was this one service station he robbed. He goes in, the old man's behind the counter, and he says, "I'm gonna steal your car." And he waves his pistol at him, and the old man's like, "All right, here's the keys, but can you do me a favor? When you decide to dump it, can you not throw the keys like?" into the field or anything because I don't want to have to pay for another set. And Clyde was like, yeah, that's fine. I'll do that. You know what I'm saying? Like there were certain situations like that where he was fair, like where he multiple times Hmm. kidnapped even police officers that were looking for him, put them in the back and then would drive them. Even though he knew as soon as they were let off, they were going to go to the nearest payphone and get all the cops looking for him. He would still drop them off. He wouldn't kill them. I'm not saying he's a good guy, but he was fair. And the, most of the killings literally were not his not not his fault, but if you back Clyde Barrow up in a corner, he's going to get out of the situation. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't want to kill anyone. He never has. He's not like some of these gangsters that just kill anyone. You know what I'm saying? Mm, interesting. But, Gangster um, with a heart. This is a sad story. One of the reasons that kind of that marked him as a wanted man and pretty much made it where he was going to either die in the electric chair or get murdered or, or get shot up by the police was this story. Okay. They knew the guy that they were robbing on this particular day. Okay. Through a, one of their old friends. Now his name is John N. Bush, Busher, not butcher, Busher, John N. Busher. He's a 60-year-old man and a shop owner. He had a huge sign in front of the window, J.N. Boucher, Jewelry Graduate Optician. Optician. Okay. So this was April 1932. It was Clyde, Ted, a guy named Ted Rogers, and a guy named Johnny Russell. They stole a car, and they went 
to Busher's shop. Now, they had, Clyde was in there earlier a few days ago selling pocket knives or whatever because he was trying to chase, to case out the joint. Right. Basically to see if they had a safe and see how big it is. If it was small enough that they could just take with them, they'll just put it in the car and crack it in the woods. If it was too big, they had to hold the shop owner at gunpoint and he had to open it. But either way, they, he went in there and cased the joint. Cased the joint? I'm sounding like a gangster, man. <laughs> they went and cased the joint. <laughs> You've been reading far too much into this. Yeah. And guys, go to talkmore.com. I'm putting a picture of all the victim list and everything on the uh, website. So it was April 30th, 1932. Now, there's different reports to what happened. But from this book, Clyde Barrow was still in the car. He was the getaway driver. I mean, that's what he could do best. He could drive better than anyone else and literally on the planet. He would drive pedal to the metal, 80 miles an hour, and he would get away from all these cops. I mean, best driver ever. So he was in the car. It's late at night. Boucher... The 60-year-old man, Boucher, is sleeping with his wife upstairs. The two cronies knock on the door, you know, knock, knock, knock. Boucher comes down. He says, you know, can I help you? And and they say, I, I just need to buy some guitar strings, even though that was a lie. Mm -hmm. And they finally convinced him to open the door, which he never does. And then they give him a 20 for a 50, a $20 bill for a 50-cent pack of guitar strings knowing that he's going to have to break that by opening the safe. That's the only thing they wanted him to do is open the uh. safe. As soon as he opens the safe, now this is his wife upstairs was against even letting him in. But, you know, the wife is always right. But he goes and opens the safe and they hold him up at gunpoint. Now, stories conflict but Boucher ends up getting shot and he dies soon after. Mm. And the wife actually identifies through a police lineup Clyde as being one of the ones mm. in this operation. Now Clyde is marked with a murder. So now now it's not just local gang. Now it's murderer. If you want to read this news article, Nicole, you can. Dallas police were set patrolling the... Highway south of town early Sunday morning, watching for two young bandits who killed a Hillsborough filling station operator during a holdup just after midnight. They headed the escape car towards Dallas. The victim was John N. Butcher, the 60-year-old operator of a filling station, who was roused from his bed above the station by the two who bought gasoline and paid him with a $10 bill. When he opened his safe to get the change, one bandit shot him. The other guarded Miss Boucher, Boucher, who ran downstairs, and his companion took the cash out of the safe. The amount could not be checked. See, in other reports, it says they were buying guitar strings. I mean, you know. Interesting. I don't think journalists had rules back then. They just kind of put whatever. All right, this is three months later. Now, he's wanted for murder. It was him and... Raymond Hamilton and a guy named Ross Dyer, so two more, you know, two of his cronies. They wanted to blow off a little steam. You know, this murder thing was <clears throat> holding over his head. Now the whole time, like he Such was a driving, bummer, dude. Yeah. Well, so he's yeah, not just he's not just waiting out in West Dallas. 
like since then and since he decided to start the Barrow Gang, he has been driving hundreds of miles a day, which is one reason the cops can't ever catch him because he may be in Texas one day, Oklahoma the next, hmm. Arkansas one day. Like he's just all freaking over the place, like no rhyme or reason. But one thing that they did figure out about Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker is they would always come home to West Dallas Hmm. Even though the cops were waiting for him there every time, they would always come home to see the family members. They were very loyal to the family members. They would come home on Easter Sunday, and the whole families, Bonnie Parker's and Clyde Barrow's families, would... So what they would do is they would have someone drive by an empty Coke bottle. It had a note in it. They would throw it over the fence to uh, the Barrow residence. The note would read, meet here you know, behind these wood wooded area at so-and-so time. And it was like literally in 20 minutes. They would get the whole families together, ride up to this undisclosed location out in the middle of nowhere, and they would have like Easter Sunday together. Oh, that's nice. They did this all the time. And Clyde and... <laughs> it is. I'm sorry. That's lovely. <laughs> Clyde and Bonnie would bring them presents, like like money. They would give them money sometimes, the families, new clothes, pillows, blankets. At one time... Bonnie bought her mother, Emma, a nice white rabbit for Easter mm. named Sonny Boy. Oh. And they, so, but they, the cops couldn't catch them even though they were coming back to West Dallas. They mm. did this all the time. But they decided to blow off some steam and they were going to go to Oklahoma to do this. Now they went to this random place called Stringtown and Stringtown is... Just how it sounds, small and unimportant. Stringy. Like deliverance? Yeah. Is this where yeah. the world's largest ball of string is? Probably. So, I mean, he was just in Dallas. Now he's in Oklahoma. Like, how are you going to catch this guy? He's literally all over the place. So they wanted to blow off some steam, and they they were driving, and 50 yards to the left of the highway, there was, like, a fair going on. There was some kind of fair, you know, the county fairs yeah. mm-hmm. that you see right out the road. Yeah. They were like, sweet, let's stop. It's kind of amazing that those things still go on sometimes. Yeah. I know. And you know what? Yeah. They're not safe. No. I would never. No. Oh, my God. There was no. someone last year that got flew off one of those damn things. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the only thing that I would think maybe I would do in the future is like a merry-go-round and that's it. I mean, I would eat at the fair. Yeah, eat too. Yeah, oh. obviously. That goes without question. Who are you talking to? Oh. What do you mean? Funnel Makes cake. Me sue, corn sue. dogs. I've never had funnel sick. cake. Ooh, I don't like corn dogs. Oh, my God. I love corn dogs. Mm. No. Yeah. I don't like I, don't, I would never get... I know. I would do the haunted house things. They're pretty safe. Oh, I don't like those. Or like the Shake Shack, like in Greece. But, I mean, I wouldn't get on a Ferris wheel. Nope. Mm, no. And I wouldn't get on one of those, like, those uh, things that go around really fast. Scrambler. Is that what they're called? Oh, Where you no, stand the, up? The, uh, t- uh, tilt, um, or whatever they're oh, called. Oh, the tilt-a-whirl? Is no. that what you're going with? And no, I wouldn't get on those those swing seats. The scrambler. or No, the ones you sit on, the yeah. seats, and they they go around in circles. Oh, the, the swings. The oh, swings, yeah. yeah. I would do things that happen at a real amusement park. Yes, agreed. But not at a traveling no. fair. They're having something at the Tanger Outlets this weekend, and I was like, oh, a carnival, and I was like, mm, no, I don't want to die. I'm good. They, yeah. the, the ones that are at the fairgrounds, if, if that's coming up soon, oh, my God, the traffic is awful. I know. It's crazy. Hey, no, it happens in October. Oh, the one at the fairgrounds? Mm-hmm. Is that the one I'm thinking of? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's awful. I want to go. I had a free uh, ticket this year, and I couldn't go. They show up around 9 p.m. Now, they're driving a 
flashy looking car. They're in freaking thousand dollar suits. These three men. And this is country bunkin there in Oklahoma, country bunkin, you know, and they're having some kind of banjo dancing contest. So And he can say that because he's from the South, so Yeah. So Clyde, not to offend any Oklahomans. Clyde not is that what they're called? Oklahomans? I don't, I don't know. I'm just assuming you would I just think add so. a it sounds right. Clyde not drawing attention to himself is a freaking understatement in this entire story. That is all they did was draw unneeded attention to mm. themselves like at this this dance now there were hundreds of people there now this was during prohibition but the sheriff was there and he knew that people were passing passing around whiskey but he didn't care i mean because everything's kind of under control you know i mean this is a small town string town they're <laughs> drinking town. passing around whiskey which is illegal yeah but the shit i mean it's such a small town it's like you ain't causing yeah, yeah, no yeah. trouble the sheriff was only there so he can break up any fights that happen when two guys see a girl they like and they get drunk and they fight over her, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now you got Clyde Barrow and the Barrow gang pulling up in this V8 Ford flashy with these nice suits. Everyone else is wearing freaking overalls and <laughs> doused nice and in cow shit, <laughs> you know? So they're being spotted obviously now this is one of the things Yeah, he could have like tried to fit in maybe take your suit jacket off dude take well, the tie off clyde actually told his family after the incident happened that it wasn't his fault one of the guys he was with was dancing making a fool out of himself and of course the sheriff doesn't like what he's seeing you got these outer towners you know and they're up to no good so he goes over there which was a mistake it was Raymond and Dyer who were foolish enough to try to dance with the local girls. So all the guys are getting jealous. The sheriff sees that. He goes over there. Sheriff Maxwell, according to Clyde, approached him in the Ford, not for illicit possession of alcohol, but because one of the Stringtown boys had reported seeing a gun in the back seat. Now, this author says that's kind of unlikely because the sheriff, quote, went over there real natural without drawing his pistol or anything. Maxwell leaned forward on one foot on the Ford's running board, right on the running board of the Ford. He leans in the car and he says, you guys are under arrest. Now, he doesn't know the Barrow gang. No idea. Now, with the murder charges from the Boucher case and everything hanging over their heads, like he, Clyde didn't know if this sheriff, what he knew or anything, which was nothing. So what they did was instead of just driving off, and getting away because they had a faster car, they pulled out their guns and they shot the sheriff right there. I shot the sheriff. I knew that was going to happen. But I did not shoot the deputy. As soon as I said that, I was like, fuck. Who is that, Bob Marley? Yeah. Yeah. And Eric Clapton did a version too. Yeah. Okay, the sheriff's body, quote, went flying back off that running board. Another guy, uh, onlooker, Harry Bryan, actually. Once Maxwell fell down, Sheriff Maxwell fell down, he grabbed his gun and started shooting at the gang. But the gang shot their pistols at him, and, and he's dead, too. So you got two dead, one onlooker and one sheriff, dead in this small town Oklahoma. Just because Clyde, it's like just a random murder that didn't need to happen. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And this is like the pattern that goes on. Yeah. As it's, he builds up murder At this charges. point, that just kind of repeats itself, right? right? Yeah. 
both Clyde and Raymond scrambled out of the car. Now they're spraying, they're, they're shooting their pistol all in the crowd. The crowd is screaming, going nuts. The sheriff is dead. The sheriff had six bullet holes in him. Oh dear. And within hours, they, I mean, literally a massive manhunt. Now they're not from Oklahoma, so they book it. And they do what Clyde is known for best is getting the hell out of there. Driving another couple hundred miles. Yeah. Now, a, a couple, few days later, the headline in the paper, Clyde Barrow wanted for murder because people identified him as Clyde Barrow, you know. Mm-hmm. But that was someone that didn't have to die. Right. Well, so many of the people that they killed didn't have to die. Any. Like if they just abided by the law. <laughs> True. <laughs> Okay, so guys, let's stop there for part one. Part two, we're going to cover two specific incidents. One, the Joplin incident, is when Bonnie and Clyde became Bonnie and Clyde. Because right now, it's just Clyde and some girl that is riding with her. The Joplin incident happens, and then Bonnie and Clyde becomes a national sensation a cult classic Hmm. forever and branded embedded in history forever that incident and we'll cover that on part two we're also going to be covering the fall and decline of bonnie and clyde when they get suckered into that ambush location and they get shot up repeatedly it's very awful and and how their bodies were drugged through the streets for everyone to see who they've been idolizing for all these years. So be sure to subscribe to Talk Murder to Me so you can be first up on that next episode. Plus, we got a an episode coming out on Thursday for one of our Talco Supremos. is a Talco special. I'm doing it just for them. So look out for that as well. If you want to have me do your story, either a hometown story or just some story that you're interested in, like the X-Men of New Orleans. Go to talkmer.com slash join, become a Talkos Primo, get a t-shirt, get a badass t-shirt, some swag, some stickers, lots of shout outs, as you know we love to do. Become part of our community and submit your story and I will research it for you. I will dedicate it to you and I will deliver it the best I can for you. So I'll see you next time. Blah. All right. So our first caller on the line right now. Welcome to Talk Murder Live. Hey, guys. It's Gypsy. <laughs> I loved your episode. <laughs> I heard that Bonnie and Clyde were the original killer couple. <laughs> <laughs> but I think me and Nick did a good job too. <laughs> uh, did you guys yay. hear my news? <gasps> Congratulations, Gypsy! Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so what happened to Nick or Victor? I don't know what to call him. Victor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, 